How can people do that? How can they how can they listen to us for an hour at a time? Because <laughs> we're just so interesting. Flame yo, Hotman. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimguard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimguard role-playing game. And I never thought that I'd hear such an enthusiastic Flamio Hotman from my co-host. Flamio Hotman? <laughs> Until now. <laughs> Uh, as you as you know, if you've been following along with us, we've been going through the episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender, and today we've arrived at Season 3, Episode 16, The Southern Raiders. Mm -hmm. uh, some stats on this episode, as always, it is written by uh, Elizabeth Welch-Ihaj. It's directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, a, a very, very familiar name to us all through Season 3. Mm -hmm. Um... It's animated by Moy Animation, and, and I have to stop and pump the brakes for just a second because we haven't really mentioned it in a bit, but just as a side note, like, I was so amazed right from the first episode of Season 3 how good this animation is. I really genuinely feel like it just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, in terms of just animation overall quality of every episode, like, Season 3 by far is the best. Um, I still feel... Like, if we're just talking individual episodes, that Jet and the Fortune Teller are the two best animation-wise outside of the finale. But, mm -hmm. yeah, overall, season-wise, um, yeah, season three's animation for Moy Animation and JM Animation is incredible. It's so high quality. So, like, the character models are so on point and the bending looks incredible. Like, yeah, it's, it's especially in this episode where it's so moody and dark and, like, very different tonally than the other episodes and the animation really reflects that very well. Well, then the animation demands in this episode weren't necessarily heavy on action. Yeah, sure, there's action in the episode, but there's a ton of uh, emphasis on people's faces, on eyes, on facial expressions, that mm -hmm. the, the detail that they're able to put into it. And I don't even mean detail in terms of like intricate line work or like a technical level of detail i just mean the attention mm -hmm. the way of expressing an emotional state or expressing a change with just just a look in their eyes is just it's amazing yeah so happy we have such good quality animation here in season three mm -hmm. um Episode 16 aired July 17th, 2008. The IMDb rating for the Southern Raiders is 8.9 out of 10. Take us away with some fun facts, Amanda. Okay, just real quick. Um, that is such a bullshit rating. <laughs> oh, God. It is <laughs> the way first too fun bad. fact is that the rating is bullshit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just that's a 0.5 fun fact. That is way too low. Um, <laughs> anyway, our actual fun facts. Um, the voice actor for, of Katara and Sokka's mother, Kaya, is the same woman who plays Azula Grey Delisle. Um, oh. Did you notice that? No, I, I didn't get like flashes of Azula under the, <laughs> underneath my eyelids as I was listening to her voice. That is very funny. I didn't pick up on that organically. Yeah, it's 
I did it when I was younger, but like as I got older, I started to hear like not necessarily Azula, but just Gray Delisle's voice because um, she does so many different voices. I was like, oh yeah, that is her, and she only has a couple lines in the episode, but like she's really good as uh, Katara and Sokka's mother. Um, the second fun fact is this is the second and final time that we see Katara use bloodbending in the series, and. Yeah, this was one of those moments that I was shooketh as a kid, like even more so than when she first did it in the blood in the puppet master, the blood bending. Um, I was more shocked this time because like we saw how horrified she was when she actually had to blood bend Hama. And it seemed almost like she was never gonna do it again. But then we see her in this just vengeful rage using it against this guard who isn't even the right person that she's looking for. And you're just right. like, oh my god, Katara, calm down. Like, well, especially, well, especially because the only time she used it, as you said, she kind of had to. Mm-hmm. She totally didn't have to do it this time. So, nope. <laughs> we'll talk yeah. a little bit more about that. Yes. Um, and then our third and final fun fact is that Kaya was the original plan for Katara's name before they decided on Katara. And I. I can't remember if I, this was a fun fact that I said at the very beginning, literally the first episode of the podcast, but the reason that they didn't go with Kaya is because there was already a, I believe, video game character that was out around the same time that was named Kaya. And so they didn't want to have any confusion. So in the pilot, not the actual uh, first episode of the show, but the pilot episode that they aired, her name is Kaya. They call her Kaya. Um, but then they decide that, yeah, no, there's already another or there's already another Kaya character out in the public domain right now. So like, we can't do that. Let's name her something else. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's why she is now Katara, which I like better anyway. It's more, yeah. it's more uh, fitting, but um, yeah. So what'd you think of this episode? Wow. Well, th- th- first of all, this is a very short episode. Like, like the episode in actual minutes, I think, I, I don't want to say it if I'm wrong, because I almost want to double check the runtime on it, but I mm-hmm. believe it's only something like 18 minutes long or something like that. Really? Yeah, when I was, hold on, I want to double check that and see if I'm, see if I'm right, because I thought when I was like, oh boy, I sure hope I have enough time to watch this tonight, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. just double check it. I could have sworn it was a lot shorter. No, it's only 20, it is 24 minutes, like all of them. For some reason, I could have sworn when I looked at it in Netflix, I thought it was a lot shorter. Maybe, Maybe I just it just checked felt it. shorter. You know what? The episode did feel like it went by really, really fast. I must have been looking at the wrong thing, or maybe I was further into the episode than I thought I was when I checked the time, and it was just mm. I was part of the way through. Um, but yeah, no, but the episode does really fly by fast. And I think it's because... Yeah, and they, we've encountered episodes like this before where this episode is not, there's not a lot of intricate ins and outs and twists and turns and changes of setting. The episode mm-hmm. really he has one simple twist. Katara's mad at Zuko and finds out, you know, then Zuko finds out that there is a specific Fire Nation commander, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. that is responsible for her mother's death. He helps her find him. But she doesn't kill him; she forgives him, and that's like the end of the episode. They go right. all like two places in the in the whole episode. Yeah, it's, so it's your basic revenge quest, but revenge quest is not something you generally associate with 
kids entertainment, you know? That's why this episode is so unique to me. Um, and that it does go so dark. And like, it's, it's crazy seeing Katara, who is usually so loving and caring and just, you know, motherly go down such a dark path, but you completely understand why. Like, it's not out of character. It's just, it's strange to see it. Um, but we've always seen that there is this a huge not really guilt, but just this huge weight of her mother's death that's always lingered on her um, or over her. And so of course she would want to do whatever she could to kind of relieve herself of that burden um, that she's been carrying about her mother's death. And, you know, Zuko is the one that's willing to help her do it. And that's where we, you know, that's, that's his atonement to her um, in terms of like helping to make it, okay between them and like trusting each other mm. and working together um, and forgiving each other. And I love that. And so I guess just starting out with the episode, um, I love, once again, we have them surrounding a campfire and they're all just chilling and Zuko's, you know, making funny, this one actually is a funny joke um, where he's like, you know, if you wanted to feel like old times, I could try and like capture you. Like we, you could run around Chase and you around a little while. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just like that actually was funny <laughs> and then of course Katara's being all sour like haha it's not funny um and she's clear she's clearly in a mood um and she storms off and Zuko's just like completely dumbfounded like bro I thought that we were past this like I thought that we were all good and um so he talks to her you know on the cliffside and he's trying to figure out why she's so angry and bitter towards him and it feels like this is one of those things where a lot of like built up history is starting to bubble to the surface and like, she just has to like vent it out, you know, whether it is about, um, you know, her being betrayed by him and bossing say, which is totally valid, you know, that, that did happen. And that was bad, obviously. Um, and a moment of emotional vulnerability for them, but also she brings up the death of her mother, which Zuko had no part of no hand in and yet she talks about it. And like Zuko even is like, what? Like, I, I had nothing to do with that. Um, but he realizes that like the anger that she feels is kind of linked to him through She's that. She's projecting and, it. She's projecting yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And even though he had nothing to do with it. So, you know, he goes to Sokka. <laughs> well, you know, and there's a little bit of a hole too there because, you know, in her mind, there's a sort of a, you know, all she knows is that the Fire Nation did it. That's all she knows. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, 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 you know, she doesn't know how the Fire Nation military operates. For all she knew, Zuko was the one giving the orders, even though he would have been like six at the time. You know what right. I mean? Like she just, he, he embodies the Fire Nation. So of course she's going to take it out on him. Whether or not it even makes sense in her mind to justify that he's responsible, it's like this guy is the Fire Nation. So every problem I have with anything the Fire Nation's done, he has to hear about it and somehow be accountable for it. You know? Oh, yeah. And again, I just feel like she just has a lot of stuff that she needs to vent out, a lot of frustrations and anger that she needs to vent. And she doesn't care where, and Zuko's there, so might as well direct it at him. It, it, there was another kind of funny, funny little layer on that you know if ang is successful in defeating the fire lord then very soon she kind of won't have a channel for her anger anymore 
She won't mm -hmm. be able to go and beat up Fire Nation soldiers. She won't be able to be angry at them that they're a warmongering nation because they won't be anymore. There won't be any mm -hmm. more war. The Fire Lord will be defeated and she will have zero outlet for any of this anger. Mm -hmm. So there's almost a little bit of an immediacy, a little bit of like, I don't know, you ever, you ever get, you ever get mad at somebody about something and you totally know you should be over it, but you just like willfully want to hang on to it a little longer because you don't feel like validated about it yet. Of course, I'm a girl. Like that's that's like the girl experience in a nutshell. It's just like holding on to things way longer than we should just so that we can bring it up at an opportune time. Like, yeah, no, I totally get that feeling. Boy, I can't wait for the last episode of this podcast. You're gonna be like, by the way, Todd, I don't know if you remember what you said back in like the third episode of season one. <laughs> right. I remember. <laughs> unfortunately it's all recorded you're like let me refresh your memory it's like monsters right. inc you're like let's play back my favorite part shall we <laughs> right um yeah no i i uh i love that when he goes to Sokka. well hello <laughs> I first I didn't know if they were gonna go all out I thought that they were gonna do one of those like it's a kid show but <laughs> the right people will know what this means when right. Suki is like sneaking to the tent at the same time and I was like oh, no oh, yeah. wow and then they just went all out when he walks into Sokka's tent I thought they were gonna leave it at that they nope. really did nope they don't half-ass anything <laughs> Uh, I love that Zaka like chews up the rose and then like swallows and it, it. Swallows it, yes. Oh god, and he's got his hair down and like, and there's candles everywhere. <laughs> he and Zuki, fucking Zuko, cock blocked them, and I'm so mad about it. <laughs> so many things I want to say right now, but I'm not going to. Oh goodness, blame me, Ohaman. Uh, yeah, so um, instead of an intimate evening with uh, Sokka and Suki, instead um, uh, Zuko pops in the tent and... Uh, we get a therapy session. Yes, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, that, that's, yes. I was going to make extremely layered innuendo, but I'm fighting off that part of myself. The intrusive <laughs> thoughts are being kept at bay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, so instead, he they, he winds up reliving some real painful memories, which I'm sure will make for a great rest of the evening with Suki. Yeah, not, not great. Thinking about your dead-ass mom. <laughs> Elegantly stated. <laughs> right? Yo mama dead, dead as fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah. so he he gets the story he gets the story from Sokka I do kind of love though that Zuko was respectful enough to number one not just entirely cold cold ice water for Sokka but he but also to like only get as much of the story as he really needs and is like oh okay like that's why and like it immediately kind of settles for him that like you know, I know what to do now. And he doesn't mm -hmm. make him like dwell on it and stay on it, talk about his feelings. He immediately is like, I, I know she's waiting outside, so I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm gonna head out. 
I'm gonna head out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love, like, I personally love when, because it doesn't happen too often, but when Sokka gets serious, like, it's it's really effective. Because, um, you know, he's usually the goofy comedic one. But I do love seeing him get so serious. And he really does in this part um, when he's kind of telling Zuko, reliving the memory of what happened the day his mother died. Um, and I love that this is just kind of skipping forward just a little bit, but I love that we get to see that day from different perspectives, very much like the last Jedi um, with, you know, Ben Solo's turn and how the different perspectives kind of affect the story or add pieces that the other perspective was missing. You know, I, I love when movies or shows do that. It's so effective. Um, and, you know, it, especially for something like this, where we've only gotten bits and pieces in the past of information about what happened to their mother, but now to see it actually play out, it's like very haunting. So you're like, wow, they were so young when this happened and yet they had to endure that. And, you know, they remember it and, you know, they weren't young enough that they wouldn't remember. So it's, it's very, very um, sad, but yeah. So Zuko gets the information and he goes to Katara and is like, I know who killed your mother. I'm going to help you find them. And she's like, all right, bet. <laughs> like, let's do this. Like, she is fully for it. And Sokka and Aang are trying to, like, talk her off the ledge. Like, dude, revenge is not the answer. Um, and she just I love how meta. I love how meta they are. That Aang is just like, so it's your turn to, like, have an outing uh, field trip with Zuko. <laughs> right. Yes. And then the, so you were just going to take Appa? Yes. That's okay. I forgive you. Give you any ideas? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's such funny writing. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they go off and. You were just saying about Aang giving that word of warning and, you know, trying to encourage her toward forgiveness. He has a quote that, that is really, I think, possibly underrated i don't know maybe it's on t-shirts in the fandom but mm -hmm. i feel like it's just kind of glossed over and the episode itself doesn't re-emphasize it or like repeat it at the end where it does where like somebody re-quotes him or anything uh -huh. but you know he you know, what am i supposed to do nothing and he's like well it's easy to do nothing but it's hard to forgive mm -hmm. and i went back like multiple times to like re-hear that moment where he shares it because again i feel like the episode kind of glosses by it like the next the next there's no like long pause or even a beat to like let the words sink in or anything and the phrase mm -hmm. is never revisited but i think it's super impactful because you know not acting on not acting on hurt and not acting on those feelings and not not acting on it is not part of the healing process you know, like Ian says later, you know, when you can forgive, it's the first step and then you can start to heal, but not doing anything that that's not what anyone should be asking you to do, to not act on your feelings by all means, voice your feelings, like do whatever you need to do. Talk, mm -hmm. talk to the person who hurt you. If you have that opportunity and it's positive, talk to people who you trust and get it out, share your experience with them and, and be heard. But don't just bottle it up and keep it inside. I mean, Aang is the first person who knows how destructive that is to just hide your feelings and pretend it's not happening. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, it's it's really, I love that quote too. And I am kind of sad that they didn't like revisit the quote at the end um, when Katara does, well, she doesn't forgive the guy, but you know, she goes through with her plan and all that. 
um, and she gets closure, but it is, and it's perfect for him to be the one to say that given how he was raised, you know, um, very forgiving, loving monks and all that. And so, yeah, I, and I don't know if this is, I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but um, <laughs> in terms of the forgiving and all that, Honestly, I just wish that she had gone through with it. And then maybe, because I have this thing about revenge stories where I don't like it when they're like, oh, you know, revenge solves nothing. And, you know, you're just as bad as the person who did the whatever. And it's like, okay, but I'm still going to do this. Like, I I love revenge stories that actually go through with the revenge. And maybe afterwards, there, there are repercussions for that, like emotionally or whatever. But like I hate when they just like pussy out at the last second. Ah, and I think that so, started so with I'm, this. I'm hearing, I'm hearing like a possibly unwritten Avatar fanfic in your head where Katara goes through with it and kills him, and when she does, she feels estranged from from Sokka and Aang and the group as they're so terribly disappointed in her. But she's bonded with Zuko because Zuko yes. was the one who helped make this possible, and and. And the next night, it's not Suki sneaking around to someone else's tent. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it would make for great drama, but I get it, because it is literally the, what is it, the second to last episode before the finale. So, yeah, I get that we don't have time to really delve into that and, like, have the fallout of that be explored. But, you know, I think that it would have been, inc I mean, the episode's already ballsy enough. Why not just go all the way with it? Like, actually have her do the deed um and then feel really really bad about it and like Zuko be shocked about it and maybe Aang and Sokka being angry about it like just I don't know I feel like it could have been really good drama um but, you, you but are literally like you are literally there being like <laughs> you have great fear Katara you have anger you have hate but you don't use them literally <laughs> I I like when characters go dark what can I say oh <laughs> but uh yeah no she wouldn't have done it but she was this close so i was like do it do it <laughs> do it <laughs> <laughs> literally good katara mm. good <laughs> well I, I i really do hope that you'll be uh enjoying the book that i'm currently writing uh because it is a revenge story and uh yes. it, things get very very dark in that book so uh I, I'm in the process of writing it now. I'll definitely make sure a copy gets into your hands yes, for sure. I love it. Um, You're on my ARC reader list. You got to read it before I publish it. Yes, <laughs> I do. So if it's terrible, I can just flame you, Hotman, and just burn the entire thing. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I guess we can kind of go back now. Um her and Zuko are flying and they're heading towards the Southern Raiders, which is the, the military branch that ooh, 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 oh, ooh. Go for I it. love where I love where they're tracking them and they go to the communications tower and she mm. ink bends. And I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. yes, that's such a little thing, but yes, I do. I always love that, that it's so simple, but so smart. It's like a very smart use of bending where, you know, they're trying to get information on where the, the ship's, have gone or whatever for the Southern Raiders. And in order to get the guard away, 
they she ink bends like she bends the ink that they're using to write and it gets all over them they have to go leave to clean up and then they're able to steal the parchment uh with the information Tiny of, detail like, but i just love it yes so smart i i love like i said i love heists i love infiltration i love like prison breaks so like this this checks off all the boxes um oh, i love enemies to lovers <laughs> enemies <laughs> to friends like <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, they work so well off of each other again, just like Sokka and Zuko do, but in a different kind of way. Well, they're um, fire and water. So, I mean, yeah, they should, they should be, they are opposing elements. So you'd think that they, you know, would be very tumultuous and, you know, would bicker and argue kind of like she and Toph did, but no, they actually like, they're pretty in sync. I feel like, um, well, they fill in each other's gaps, What water can't do fire can and vice versa. Right, exactly. Um, so, just like the best kinds of relationships, complement exactly. each other. Bring out the best in each other um, by bringing out the worst in each other. Do it. Do it. Um, yeah. So they're they're flying, and I do love this little detail that there's a wide shot of them on Appa, and you see the moon behind them, and it's full. And that was already the first guess that we should have been like, "Oh no, she's gonna do it." <laughs> oh, don't do it. Um, but, uh, you know, as they're flying, Zuko's wakes up because he's been sleeping and Katara hasn't been sleeping at all. And she's clearly tired and frustrated. Um, and she starts to tell Zuko about her perspective on the day that her mom died. And, um, and, you know, like I said, it fills in the gaps from Sokka's perspective, which he wasn't there to witness the, her mother and the Fire Nation general, um, and it's it's very chilling to to see and this is something that like i have thought about this so much since i was a kid but because you know we know about katara's mother's necklace like that has been one of her defining like you know accessories from day one and you know it even had its own little mini plot in season one so we know it's her mother's necklace and in the flashback, I don't know if you noticed, but she's wearing the necklace. Like, it's Katara's not wearing it. Her mom is. Mm -hmm. So, the like, my conclusion is, is that her mother was killed in the tent, and Katara had to take the necklace off of her dead body. Like, which is horrific to think about. <laughs> you know. I used to think as a kid for some reason that like the mom was taken and then was just presumed dead. Um, but no, like she straight up, they straight up say like, I'm not taking prisoners today. And the way that they phrase it makes it sound like she was taken because Katara just says, you know, Oh, when I returned to the tent, the man was gone. And so was she, but right, like right. now as an adult, I'm like, no, she just means she was dead. Like, she, he probably killed mm -hmm. her right then and there. Once it was Katara just an left. elegant. It was an elegant way of saying he was gone, and she was so was she as and she was gone as in dead. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and yeah, it's just like Monkey Otso, uh killing all the firebenders in the Southern Air Temple, like in his skeleton remaining. Like we don't see that, but just through the images and the implications, we're like, oh my god! I kind of wish we did see that because that would be like crazy badass um, oh, is this luke coming back to see owen and baru just like their yes. smoldering body is at the at the homestead is That's he just literally, 
yes that's literally what i'm like picturing and it's it's so horrific no um, he didn't do that because the necklace would be all burned up very clearly he cut her head off and the necklace oh fell God. off of her neck obviously that's... this is a kid show man what do you think <laughs> i know right yeah um but yeah so we get a little bit more information and then you know we get we get to where we need to go with the ship um and the southern raiders and you know not, i love not, there's there's a ship going places in this episode it never does get to where i want it to go personally oh sorry right. you're talking about the literal ship yes yes i was um but both and um so they get onto the ship and they're looking for the commander of the southern raiders and and they you know katara's just taking out people left and right being a badass and zuko's got her back her 12 is that what the phrase is? You've got your 12, I don't know, or six, I don't know, um, military terms. And so I do love that once, gosh, I love that once they get to the um, the brig of the ship, the man that they think they're looking for firebends a Katara, but Zuko just immediately jumps in front of her and blocks it. Like, again, it's yeah. great teamwork. Um, she could have blocked it with the water, but it's cool to see Zuko, you know, step in and, and protect her. Um, and then that's when she uses her water, not water bending, her uh, blood bending for the first time since the Puppet Master episode. And it's so scary. <laughs> and even Zuko, Zuko's reaction is the best, honestly, because like, I don't even know that he knew that that was possible because that is only one other person aside from Katara has ever blood bent before. So yeah. like wa watching his reaction, his eyes just widen and like, seeing her doing this you know very creepy water bending um yeah that's kind of all of our reactions because again we never thought zuko, that we would see her zuko do keeps it. his cool though i mean like he's shocked but the whole time i mean under his mask he's probably just like that's so cool oh my god <laughs> that's so badass am i gonna marry this girl <laughs> yes um <laughs> and then it turns out that yeah it's not the guy that they're looking for and they have to go to a completely different area because the man that they're looking for has been retired for years and is now living with his mother on a like little farm in the fire nation. And it's kind of pathetic. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah, it really is where she's like this harpy and he is just like, man, imagine living to your ripe old retirement and going home and being like just verbally abused for the rest of your life or her life. Yeah. And it's, it's so pathetic and you know just seeing him being beaten down and you kind of almost feel bad for him but then you're like oh wait <laughs> no i shouldn't feel bad for this guy at well, all well well the thing it does is it creates some wonderful emotional complexity to the thing we're both i love how we're both so sadistic tonight we're just like yeah it creates this in this wonderful mm, complexity mm, mm, dark urges and revenge story right he's a little more paprika what if he was just really pathetic no wait what if he like actually wanted either to die or his own mother to die mm, yes, yes spicy spice is what we needed they built up to this yes um <laughs> but yeah and i love when we're introduced to yon Ra, who's the name of the the commander the former commander of the southern raiders um mm -hmm. when he's like walking through the town it's very like it's almost like we're getting a point of view from Katara and uh, Zuko as they're following him and they're like hiding out in the bushes or up on the hills. And I just love the the quiet ambiance of the town. And like you can tell that something's off as he's being right. followed. 
Um, and it's, it's storming and it's cloudy and the rain starts and it just, again, it's building great atmosphere, building up to this like big, you know, yeah. I guess confrontation that Qatar has been waiting for, for who knows how many years. Um, right. And so, yeah. And I love it. And when she finally does confront him, uh, she's displayed some amazing bending, you know, stopping the rain and then creating a dome of water. Like oh, even yeah. Zuko again is looking like, wow, this girl's so powerful. I can't believe it. Um, it's great. Like no wonder she beat my ass so many times. Um, <laughs> but uh that, that reminds me of a line from the Cowboy Bebop, uh, the movie, uh, which I've mentioned Cowboy Bebop once or twice before, mm. especially in the Jet episodes. Great anime, greatest anime of all time. Uh, mm. But in the movie, uh, the the main character, Spike, is um, butting heads with uh, this like new female character that is only in the movie, and they get into a, a fight, and, and, and he's always really mouthy during fights, and she like takes a swing at him, and he's like, oh... I like a woman that can kick my ass. I actually do know that line because it's been used in a lot of like not fanfics, but like fan art for my favorite ships. So, yeah, I, I love that dynamic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can just see Zuko like like thinking about that about Katara as like all the waters in the air. Yes, we love it. Um, and yeah, so we finally get his the commander Yon Ra his point of view from the whole thing. And the com the uh, conversation that he had with Katara's mother about Katara, because he doesn't realize it's about Katara, but the reason yeah. that he was raiding the Southern Water Tribe is because his sources had said that there was a single waterbender left, because, um, you know, it's a very small village, very small tribe, mm. and that he wanted to take the waterbender and presumably put them in prison like they did with the others, with Hama. Um, and, you know, Katara's mother, Kaya, she obviously she's not going to give her daughter up. So she says that she is the last waterbender and, you know, take me as your prisoner. I'll go willingly, just leave the others. And that's when he says, you know, I'm not taking prisoners today. And mm -hmm. you're like, and that's when you could like, see as you flash back into the present, like, he's like, Oh wow. I done fucked up. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, he realizes that Katara is the waterbender that he was looking for and that he, basically killed the wrong person um and yeah and she may whitman she, she, oh, she no go ahead really about go talk about may whitman and her performance oh yeah it's phenomenal <laughs> i mean she's always phenomenal she's so good as guitar but like you know this is this and her talk with Dakota in the awakening episode i think are her two mm. best performances as katara um because just in one word she just has all the rage, all the anger um, of all these years that she's been trying to deal with her mother's death. And it's the me, you know, when, when she says she lied to you, she was protecting the last waterbender. And then Jan Ra just is like, who, what? And then she just says me, like, I'm just like, Oh my God, chills, full body chills. Um, Amazing. Yeah. She is so good. Well, you know, the next thing that she does then in taking her revenge is she shapes the the water into just huge frozen daggers just the icicles mm -hmm. and hurls them at him and of course you know she skewers him to the ground like a like a roast pig no just kidding you know they all stop of course <laughs> inches from his face and everything mm -hmm. but you know the lead in and the lead out from that moment both both his pleas beforehand and the fallout afterward 
I think illustrate really well in a sort of a show don't tell because like sure Aang has the general tell about revenge which is you know <laughs> it, it poisons you too and all these things and how later at the end he says that forgiveness is the first step to begin healing and moving forward but you know kind of drawing all these points together she doesn't kill him mm -hmm. and I think part of the complexity of the issue is revenge is very messy because look at how messy the entire journey is. It's messy because along the way they almost kill the wrong guy, first of all. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of blindness in A Path to Revenge that makes it messy. Yeah, it makes a great story. But for a moment we're talking about real world <laughs> right. revenge. It's very messy, for, for one thing. Number two, you hurt a lot of other people along the way in getting mm -hmm. to the person that you're going and their death or whatever in this case is actual death but like you know exacting your revenge on that person doesn't just hurt them it, depending on what way you're seeking revenge against somebody it will hurt the people who love them it will hurt the people that they're responsible to be there for or support them you even just break somebody emotionally make them lose their job make them lose their goals and things they've been after like if you set somebody back it could affect their families their friendships like you know their whole lives mm -hmm. um and then of course we have the fact that he also tries to push off her bid for revenge onto his own mother that he's like oh don't you can kill me if you want to actually if you want to you could just take my mother because that would make it all equal right and like mm -hmm. the whole ethics of how do you balance it out if you're justifying revenge that you're trying to like settle a score and make things right again and there's your like moral quote-unquote justification for your revenge what do you do is it eye for an eye? Is it, do you take from them the equivalent to what they took from you? Do you, do you take it from that person or from somebody they know? Like in her situation, what actually would have been the equitable answer besides just not doing anything? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, in a way, the not doing anything, it, she didn't forgive him. And like the, the 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 morally complex issue of what she did is that as she says to ang uh to ang later she didn't forgive him mm -hmm. and in a way she did sort of do the easy thing to do nothing she did yeah. she did when she the moment came she didn't take the hard choice to forgive him but she also didn't take the hard choice to go ahead and make that jump and actually get her revenge. Yeah, I I think it's interesting because, again, I, I'm not mad at the fact that she didn't actually kill him because it's a kid show, but um, I think that what kind of solidified her closure was that she sees that by keeping him alive, like, he is just this pitiful, meaningless, like, as she says, empty, sad man. And, you know, that's almost worse than death. Like, you know, that he's in this, like, terrible situation and she can rest easy knowing that he's just going to be a sad, pitiful, empty man. Um, well, I think because when we, when other people hurt us and take something away from us, it's very easy to, I mean, let me give a real, very vivid real world example. Um, when people break up with you in a relationship, 
and you're left and you're hurt and everything and you're lonely and your heartache and you're heartbroken it's very easy to kind of conjure this idea that the other person the person who broke up with you and hurt you that they're off living their best life that they're like laughing at you and they've probably moved on with there with somebody else and they're having a grand old time and they're super happy and you're the only person who's suffering and they're just that why do they get off easy and i'm the only one who's in pain and so I think the real world closure, as you said, for her, is she sees that he's pathetic, but that he's suffering too. His life isn't amazing. The guy wasn't pinned with medals and roses and he's living in luxury and finery. He's suffering. He's there hand gardening for his horrible mother alone, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it would have been a really different story if he had been like, you know, this revered general and living in luxury and you know respected in his community like it would have been a completely different story and i feel like she probably would have gone through with it um but because of the situation that she found him in and that he'll most likely be living in for the rest of his life like she's almost like you know what it's not even worth it like because you are so pathetic like it's not even worth it um but and, you know what she does forgive Zuko, my babies. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That that hug launched about a million fanfics. Um <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's not even really the hug for me. It's the it's what's after the hug when she just like I think he's holding on to her waist and she just puts her hand on his shoulder and I'm like, Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, they're friends now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Well, part of the it's like Aang is right there. Is, well, right especially, in front of my because, salad. especially because, you know, as she pointed out multiple times, there was that intimacy, there was that trust, there was that shared opening of hearts together. And in a way, you know, as we've discussed, his betrayal hurt her worst of all, because everybody else could be like, oh, we thought he was a nice guy, or maybe he was changing. And she's like, no, he opened up to me, and I opened up to him, and it's personal. It's very personal, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's it, the healing and the forgiveness of Zuko reestablishes that trust and that intimacy, that openness between the two, which is a vulnerability that, like, realistically nobody in the group has i mean he and ang have shared some kind you know some some open thoughts with each other and some reflective moments but they never have shared like personal history on the level that he and katara have so yeah groundbreaking yeah, it's this is really good stuff um beautiful and and then we just kind of end on this sort of ominous note of like zuko well you know, Aang is all like, yeah, I'm really glad that Katara didn't go through with it. And Zuko's like, yeah, revenge wasn't the right answer. You were right all along. And he's just like, so what are you going to do when you face my father? Because, like, that's kind of, you know, what this has all been leading to. And, you know, if you don't take him out, who knows what's going to happen to the world, to us? Like, what are you going to do? And then Aang doesn't have an answer. He just kind of is like, uh, I don't know. And yeah, it's it's a really, really big thing that, you know, Aang has to grapple with for the finale of like, do I take this man's life that's caused so much hurt and, you know, basically wiped out my people or do I show mercy and pity? Like, it's a 
in this kind of episode just is like foreshadowing for that exact thing. So I love that writing wise. Yeah, no, the, the episode is spectacular. I mean, overall, um, I gotta tell you, like, I totally agree with you that the IMDb rating is not, does not do justice to this. The episode is very clear in my personal estimation, weighing it against how we've rated things before. This episode has got to be like a man like it's so satisfying on so many levels and like i said the depth that it accomplishes and show what goes by so quickly and so short uh, uh a story arc um it's got to be like a 9.6 for me wow yeah um once again i think i'm gonna agree with you this is one of those episodes that i've watched a million times and it's the Katara and zuka centric episode which i love um I love the darker elements of this and just seeing the two of them, you know, bonding and working together and finally getting the full story of what happened to Katara's mother after all these, you know, episodes and seasons. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with 9.6 as well. This is like top 10 episodes of the entire show, which is why I'm so surprised by the 8.9 because literally any any list you look at will have this episode on it. Any top 10 list will have this episode because it is just so iconic and it's just one of the best. So I, I can't believe it's a nine or an 8.9. It's way too low. Sad, sad. Do better, do better. That's right. Um, yeah. And now for something completely different. <laughs> and that comes in the form of episode 17, The Ember Island Players. <laughs> Boy, could we could we possibly switch gears, switch tones any more wildly than between these two episodes? I know. It is giving you emotional whiplash. Yes, yes, for sure. Now, now this episode, I have like a bunch of stuff to say because I had a ball in this episode the entire time. I know, this, you were this, messaging me the entire episode. I, I, I need and I need to guide myself through the episode with some of the things that I'd said. So I'm also gonna pull up our conversation so I don't miss a beat on it. I was screaming the entire time. <laughs> I just it's so good. Um jeez. Uh, so the episode, some stats on it first before I just tumble into it. Uh, <laughs> it is written by not one, not two, but three of the finest writers in all of Avatar. Uh, it is written by the combined efforts of Tim Hedrick, Joshua Hamilton, and John O'Brien, all mm -hmm. coming together for this this epic, epic episode. Uh, it's directed by none other than my boy, Giancarlo Volpe. Good to see him back in the driver's seat for this one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's animated, of course, wonderfully by JM Animation. Uh, the episode aired July 18th, uh, 2008. And the IMDb rating for the Ember Island players is an absolutely unjust eight and a half out of ten. Again, do better. Who's sleeping on these last episodes right before, you know, you, know, you ever see somebody <clears throat> who very clearly, <clears throat> sorry, you ever drive behind somebody who very clearly must drive a truck? 
And like they do that thing where mm -hmm. they're going to make a turn where they swing not the way they're going and then they swing the way they're turning. And it's like, why? Why are you doing this? You're not in a truck. Why are you swinging your turn? Is this the fandom being like, get ready with those tens, boys? All right, let's get a couple of eight point somethings out of the way. All right, swing that wheel hard for a 10. It, it's not fair. I guess so. It, it's not, not fair. fair. It's how, how can you do this? It's not fair. It's outrageous. Unfair. <laughs> How could you be on a top 10 list without being a 9 or above? Because <laughs> literally, again, this is another episode that is a fan favorite. So I'm shocked by how it's not even that it's a low rating. It's just low for, you know, one of the top episodes. Um, so anyway, moving on to our fun facts. Uh, the idea of a young male hero being acted by a woman is similar to the traditional English theater productions of Peter Pan, where the title character is played by an actress. The portrayal of fake Aang is much like the character of Peter Pan, who is also known for being very immature and a trickster since he is forever juvenile. I love it. <laughs> as, soon yes. as, as soon as she popped out, I was like, Peter Pan, right there. I love yep. it. Yep. Yep. And as someone working on a Peter Pan script right now, and it is very familiar with the theater lore of Peter Pan, like, I, I just love that little detail. Um, Derek Bos, our second fun fact is that Derek Bosco, who plays actor Zuko, is the brother of Dante Bosco, the voice actor for the actual Zuko. So, yeah, the voice sounds very similar while still being what? clearly, yeah. They're like, hey, do you have any siblings that could possibly play a play version of you yeah sure and just so we can kind of get a similar voice but right. like not you exactly that's hilarious one of my favorites <laughs> and funnily enough one of my favorite lines from the episode is actually from derek bosco with the how could you say that <laughs> that is <laughs> i say that all the time nobody ever knows what i'm referencing but it's okay <laughs> There's a whole other layer to you. That's just like it's just getting like peeled back over. I all the references I've known of you over the years are all finding their place. It's all falling into their place. Oh yeah, it's all coming. It's together. all coming together. Jinx. <laughs> all right, and then our third and final fun fact is that unlike most recap episodes, which are usually created as a as a result of a show's lessened budget, the Ember Island Players features a plethora of original designs for new characters and locations, as well as accompanying, accompanying, I cannot say this word, accompanying, anyway, animation, <laughs> all of which requires significant effort from the production crew. Accompanying, oh, why can't I say this word? Oh! Come on, give it a few more tries. Come on, uh, you can do it. I believe in you. Accompanying. A company yeah it's just yeah. weird it's there's way too many syllables to that word accompanying all the things oh, we've God. learned it's only 11 o'clock at night <laughs> i get that reference <laughs> so for, so i just have to say this episode was an absolute joy <laughs> It is. I, I I don't know. I don't know what's better. Is it the caricatures of the characters that we've known and loved as they've gone back? And everyone objects so hard to the way their character is done. But that's exactly them. It's exactly them. Saga's just like, I'm so hungry. I need meat. And then there's Katara and she's literally crying all, all the time. It just gave me so much hope. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing 
and the only person that doesn't object to their you know character portrayal is of course Toph because she gets you know a super buff awesome badass blind guy to play her it's, it's a win it's a win uh, 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 all around it's a 360 degree win for Toph on every level <laughs> I mean I don't I don't know what parts I love the best I think it was probably the biggest laugh I got. I had to pause it because I like of crying from the laughter <laughs> was UA descending up into the sky. <laughs> I have moon duties to do. Oh, and I did eat pickled fish. <laughs> yes. They have very important moon duties. <laughs> yes. And then Sokka getting all emotional at that. I'm trying to watch I'm it. I'm trying to watch. Yes. Oh, I love it. What's that? I think it's your honor. Where? Oh, God. Uh, and then when he dies, honor! Honor! It's terrible. Yes. Every gut punch to them during the play. I, I remember I commented to you in a message, why did you ask me to, why did you have me watch the series? I could have just watched this episode. Literally. It's such a perfect recap. It's a perfect recap. feeling like a recap. Yes. It's, That's the thing. it's like probably the best recap episode ever made for television because it, it perfectly falls in line with the show. And it actually, it's not just a recap. Like, that's something that I love about it, is that it could have just easily been a bunch of jokes, which the jokes are all hilarious, but it could have easily been just that. But you actually have the characters getting, kind of dissecting their biggest fears, especially Aang, um, you know, as the play starts to wrap up. And his fear about, you know, the incoming Fire Lord fight that he knows is coming. Like, right. it's... Yeah, so we we do get and his insecurities with Katara and their relationship and like there are things that are like serious that you know are un are I guess unearthed because of the play and because of these characters' insecurities or fears or whatever. Um, so it's more than just a recap episode, honestly. But uh, oh, it yeah, does, it does so much to foreshadow and build things. It builds conflict in the middle of it, like you said, with you know Aang getting a good shot in the arm of Zatara and see how he likes it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, but you know something else that I was amused about? I liked how I got this feeling how the writers were poking fun at themselves for decisions they had made along the way, maybe even possibly mm. things that, I don't know, I wasn't there, that they might have gotten a little bit of ribbing about from critics mm -hmm. or just the the fans in general or something like i love how they poke fun at jet's extremely vague death okay so i talked to yes. I, I talked to my friend who listens to the to the podcast um just the just the, actually uh last week and she said to me mm -hmm. wait did jet die he didn't die like they were just kind of guarding him but like he's not dead and i'm like yeah he's dead she's like they didn't show him die and i'm like yeah, that's true. I mean, it's very clear he was going to die. But, like, you're right. Mm. You didn't actually see him actually die. And they're just like, wait, did Jet just die? I don't just... know. <laughs> you know, it was really unclear. <laughs> I feel like it was them, like, the writers in a very sort of self-effacing way being like, I guess it was kind of unclear <laughs> whether he died or not. Yes. And one of my favorites, it, this is just like a total punch to the the laughing gut for me but um when they're doing the the bit about the great divide 
<laughs> Look, it's the Great Divide, the greatest or, or the greatest canyon in the Earth Kingdom. Sokka just goes, eh, let's keep flying. <laughs> just like, and that's it. That's all that there is. And I'm like, that is the funniest thing ever. That's so, us. That that's is, us rewatching the series. Oh, look, it's the Great Divide. Eh, let's skip this episode. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and, I uh, love just like that they're not afraid to like poke fun at themselves for or, that kind or, of stuff. Like, or Azula, where she just disappears in like a puff of smoke or whatever. Right. She's disappeared, but how? <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. No one knows. Not no one knows. Not even the writers, the fans. How did she escape? <laughs> exactly. I love, I love it. it. I love it. I really felt like it and... was kind of a curtain call for the writers, like in the show, where they're like, "Okay, guys, the next thing that's going to happen is the big finale." So, like, let's take a second and just c- celebrate our triumphs, but also kind of our like weaker moments here. Let's just acknowledge it, you know? Yes. Prince Zuko, we need to have a talk about your hair. <laughs> I love that throughout the play, Zuko has different hairstyles. Such a silly little thing. The scar is on the wrong side. Yes, the scar is not on the wrong side. <laughs> yes. It's so it's, good. Like, there's, yeah, it's, and I love that that whole um, scene between play Zuko and play Iroh. Again, it, it reveals some, um, you know, not information really, but just like some insecurity that Zuko has about the way that he left things with Uncle Iroh mm-hmm. and that he feels like he's, you know, even though he still loves him, obviously, um, that he may never forgive him for, you know, betraying, you know, him and all that back in Bossing Say, and like that he may never get to redeem himself. And Toph, of course, is the one that's always the clear headed, you know, she is really wise beyond her years and she's able to kind of talk to him about you know hey i had a long chat with this guy you know back in season two and like all he could talk about was how much he loved you and wanted you just to be safe and happy and you know doing the right thing and he would be proud of you for joining us like you know and i think that's exactly what zuko needed to hear at that moment because you know he he's he's had it very rough recently and he didn't have Iroh to talk to or, you know, console him about all of these big changes in his life. And so I think that Toph is probably the best person to do something like that. And uh, yeah, it's just really sweet. And and then she punches him because that's how she shows affection. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I really like, I really like Toph's, um, Toph's season three presence is very unique compared to her season two presence. And we've talked about this a little bit, at least before. Um, But I like how recently in the series, as we're at the end, she's a little bit less of a sort of a comedic role and a little bit more Mm -hmm. of the sage. While everyone else is experiencing real heavy drama, you know, even what we talked about when Zuko came and joined the group, she has no special hatred for Zuko. He never did anything to her directly the whole time she's been with the group. Zuko was was uh you know on the run from the Fire Nation and Azula was their main threat. And so she has nothing but like patient words and some sage advice and even some fond memories of herself and Iroh that she shares with mm-hmm. Zuko about how when the two of them were together, that's all he could talk about with Zuko and how it was kind of annoying. <laughs> right. But it was also very sweet. Just like someone sitting and listening to us. They're just like, there's Todd and Amanda and they're great. But all they did was talk about Zuko, which was really annoying. 
<laughs> right? That should be the review of our show. All they do is talk about Zuko, which is kind of annoying, but also really sweet. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Exactly. I would highly recommend. Um, yeah, no, I love... It doesn't happen very often, but when Zuko and Toph are paired together, again, they're such an odd couple, but like I feel like they really work off each other very well. And um, yeah, so I love seeing her give him that kind of that comfort and wisdom that his uncle couldn't give him. Well, because she has less of a history with him. So if she likes him, she just can't, she's allowed to just genuinely like him. There's nothing for her to overcome. There's no trust to rebuild. There's nothing. She can just be like, oh, Zuko, he's a cool guy and he shoots fire. (laughs) And she burned my feet. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. Accidents happen. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then you know, on the other hand, we've got on a more comedic note, we have Sokka and Suki, you know, sneaking backstage because Sokka is insulted by his portrayal on stage as the meat loving, like, I don't know, macho man. Well, not even macho man, but just like the meat loving comedic guy. Yeah. But the comedy is not good enough. He's a one trick pony. He needs to come up with some good puns. This is ridiculous. My jokes are way funnier than this. I love how he has them written down on, on flashcards to like help the guy <laughs> yeah. out where he's just like, <laughs> it's a rocky relationship. <laughs> Good one. And then they use it immediately right. in the next act. Exactly. What does the cabbage merchant use to fix his cabbage park? A cabbage patch. <laughs> I love stupid. how I, by, by the way, I love all the nods, even in like the, you know, the, the, beyond it from sources like pirates and this and that. And mm-hmm. if someone an extremely knowledgeable cabbage merchant. <laughs> yes. He's got severe beef with them. Slander their names. <laughs> That's probably why. Like he was just so pissed at them that he was like, yeah, you know what? Make them out to all be buffoons. Like totally over-exaggerate them. <laughs> And so, you know, I do love that the episode, the direction they take it, because, you know, the whole time you almost kind of forget that they're sitting in a Fire Nation audience. People are, Mm. people are laughing at the jokes. They're, you know, they're watching the Avatar and applauding for him and everything, but they're applauding for the performance. And when the, Mm -hmm. when I love when Sokka's like, but wait, this hasn't, stuff hasn't happened yet. Is this the future? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This must be the future. And and it, they play out. I love how stilted the like actress Azula's acting is, where it's just like the they're act- trying to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it then, is over, Father. But but then like, but you see it where you see like everyone's acting is a little goofy, a little wooden. But then there's the actor playing the Fire Lord, and he is like way over the top, but he's like very Shakespearean. Yeah, he's like he's like the thespian. He's the one that like this is very clearly he's like the starring billing of this whole thing. We have done it. Yes, we have love done it. it. The world is ours. And you yes. see the audience cheer for the defeat of Zuko and standing ovation for the death of the Avatar and the triumph of the Fire Lord. And it, you suddenly remember and you're reminded that we're in enemy territory and they're not rooting yep. for the Avatar. And as you pointed out, this is very well how it could go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love for that exact scene that you're talking about, the shot of the gang as they, like, it dawns on them that, oh, this is what some of these people want to happen. Like, 
these people have been so brainwashed by the Fire Nation's, you know, propaganda of, oh, world domination and let's spread our, you know, awesomeness to the rest of the world until everything is fire. Um, and, you know, the the Fire Lord being kind of the the head of all of this. And yeah, that that they're brainwashed to actually want that to happen. And the gang is just like horrified by it. And they just all kind of sit in silence, like as everyone around them is cheering and standing up for, you know, standing ovation. That, that's um, that's you and, and me. If we were at the play, you're like, there, like hunkered down and somber, just like sadness and like, Oh my God. And then there's me like standing ovation, like, yeah, fire nation. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. You so would be. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, you know, for how, hilariously stilted and wooden or overplayed the acting is from the actors in the play. Um, the effects and Saki even makes a note of this. The effects are actually very good. Like as a theater person, I love seeing how they do the behind the scenes and like the, you know, the smoke and the sets and especially the bending, which I think is very creative. Um, like, yeah, they clearly put a lot of time and effort into all that. So like kudos Ember Island players, like you should win for best technical award. So good. So good. It, it needs to go on Broadway. Right. And then you got on the most serious note, um, you know, Aang is the most affected by the entire show because obviously, you know, it's surrounding him and his defeat and you know, also his relationship with Katara, which is, you know, he feels is at a very shaky point you know, because they're about to go to war, basically. Um, and yeah, and he sneaks a kiss and it's not okay. Oh, because yeah, no. Katara's mm -mm. like, bro, I just said I was confused. Like, this is not the time. Read the room. Seriously. Such an idiot. <laughs> he just bangs his head against the pole. Like, damn it. Know what it reminded me of? Have you seen Darth Vader in love? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm such an idiot. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Like, I totally get that his frustration and his, like, you know, anxiety over this play, you know, because obviously no one's taking it seriously, but he is. And, you know, he's still young and he still has so much, you know, weight on his shoulders and burden for this fight that's coming up with the Fire Lord. And, you know, seeing his what could be his actual defeat playing out in front of him, even if it is comedic, is like, yeah, kind of anxiety inducing for him. And yeah it's it's not it's not cool so i totally get why he kind of you know stormed out of the play and didn't want to watch it anymore and all that but like yeah your relationship is not what you should be focusing on right now Aang. i love you but stop <laughs> i mean you know he's what he's 12 yeah it's fine yeah it's fine um but uh yeah and then literally the final shot is them all leaving the theater and just like this has been used so many times to describe the last Airbender movie. Horrible, terrible. You said it, but the effects are decent. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. Yes, that is the ex that is the exact feeling that I have towards that movie. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. No. This this the this whole episode is is a joy ride for me. Like it was so fun. It's such a fun recap. It's so meta. Uh, the characterizations and it's especially funny i feel like for us because here we are mm -hmm. doing these like in-depth character analysis of everybody and then to to compare it 
to the caricatures of them created for the play is just amazing like like i got such enjoyment and such a vindication and everything out of all of it yes it is a very fun very campy very meta episode and i love it it's so so good um overall like i said the episode is just it's just a real joy like again i feel like it's it really is a big curtain call before we get to the finale which undoubtedly will be so packed with action and drama and everything um oh yeah you know there won't be time to reflect back on it so i feel like it was so appropriate for them to do this right now even just purely the placing of this episode it, that they would decide to do it before the finale um i feel it's just like it's a great time to do it you know to recap things and do it in such an amazingly creative way so um i gotta tell you i gotta give this one a solid nine nine out of ten it's so good wow this is like the fourth time in a row but i agree <laughs> look at the way this show has brought us together Amanda. i know right? the meeting of the minds right yeah like it's Clearly, there's not, like, a lot plot-wise going on, but just, like you said, to kind of recap everything that we've seen so far, but from a comedic angle and the meta-ness of it and just the different reactions that the characters have to their to their counterparts on stage. Like, I think that it's so funny. The jokes all hit and, you know, the animation, the exaggeration of the, the actors, it's all so funny. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's solid 9 out of 10. Very fun episode and you know, a, a much needed, you know, light episode before we get to the finale, which is, you know, very packed, very heavy. And uh, yeah, there's a lot that happens. So it's nice to just have a little bit of a breather in between. And speaking of a breather, you know, a breather is something that we don't really get, you know, speaking about finales and curtain calls before then, this is the last episode before their finale, but this is the last episode before our finale. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the next episode that we'll be recording and putting out there for everybody will be the uh, Sozin's Comet. It'll be that four-parter. It'll be the finale of season three. And, you know, by by this point, you know, there's, you know, a lot of episodes that are out there. You know, we started doing this at the start of summer. And, you know, there are some people who will be hearing about the show and tuning it in after these episodes have already aired live. You know, and but the, I know that there's a big bunch of people who have been there listening to the podcast since the first episode, um, who have been listening, keeping up week to week. You know, you guys out there who are listening to this, you know, huge thanks to you guys for all the encouragement, whether you're friends and family of ours who keep up with what we have dedicated ourselves to week to week. Um, or the people out there who just found us and tune us in, who maybe you don't even comment on our social media, you know, we appreciate you. We're thankful that you're there. We're really happy that you continue tuning in and, uh, and we, we see you and we're happy that you want to tune in and listen to us. Yes. Ditto to all of that. You guys are all awesome. <laughs> it's much more eloquent than what I could say. But you know, it is great getting that feedback um, from everybody. So big thanks to everybody that we know. Um, and yeah, anybody who ever wants to reach out to us, let us know what you think. You know, as always, we we welcome you guys to do so. We appreciate you all. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. 
thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.